ask you if you just bow your heads and uh, prepare your hearts before the Lord. Father, I pray that you will calm our spirits. Help us to block out, Lord, uh, those cares and concerns that we might have later on, maybe immediately after this service. Father, my offering that I'm going to give you right now is my attentiveness and my heart and a desire to hear your word and a desire to be obedient to your word. And so I pray that you will speak as only you can speak, far beyond anything that I can do, but that your Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit would take your word and drive it deep into our heart. Thank you, Father. In thy son's name we pray. Amen. Chuck Colson, many of you know the name, how he wrote a book called Against the Night. And I want to read a, a paragraph out of that book. He says this. He says, The sun is setting on the Western civilization. Ominous shadows fall across politics, family life, and education. We live with a growing sense that things are winding down, that somehow freedom, justice, and order are all slipping away. Scandals and scams are commonplace as men and women trade character for cash and sacrifice commitment on the altar of selfishness. Divorce, drugs, easy sex create an environment of abuse for much of our youth. We are living on the edge of chaos. We stand on the brink of a dark new age. You know, think that strikes me about this quote from this book is I think this book was written over 30 years ago. And things have only accelerated. I mean, who has not been concerned about the erosion within our nation? And, and folks, it's not just a matter of sinfulness. There has always been sin in this world. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if there's more sinfulness now than there was 50 years ago. There has always been sin. But who can deny the blatant way in which it is flaunted before us, unashamed, protected as a right? You know, the scripture where God says right will be declared wrong, wrong will be declared right, you know, and it will be boasted about. I mean, that is coming true in our day and age. And against a type of a backdrop of this culture that we live in today, the question comes, what type of a Christian will it take to make an impact in this kind of a society that we're living in? What type of a Christian can, can make any inroads, you know, can be a testimony, can be a light, can be salt in this kind of a culture? The answer is summed up in a, in a, a biblical word that I want us to look at. I want us to look at the word integrity. Integrity. Webster defines integrity as being uprightness. It says a soundness of character, you know, moral wholeness, honesty, you know, and, and, and entirety, a completeness, purity, you know, all of these, these words that describe it. Um, I, I love one of the biblical words that it, it's so descriptive, it, it calls it being solid. You know, not, not being veneer. And, and if any of you have ever refinished furniture or sanded it down, 
You know, you got to be careful on some furniture, a dresser, a wooden dresser, because, you know, it might look like an oak dresser, but you get, you get past about a 30-second of an inch, and you say in too much, and, and, and you're down to, you know, plywood or OSB, because it just, it has a good-looking surface, but deep down, it, it's not solid. And, and I think that's a good picture of what integrity is. Solid is whole and whole. What you see on the outside is, is what you see you know, of, of us on the inside. And God's word has a lot to say about integrity and the impact that it has on our surroundings. Let's put up some Proverbs for you. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7. It says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, in a solidness. Proverbs 10, 9. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Proverbs 11, verse 3 and then verse 6, it says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. Integrity. It means more than just not getting into trouble, being a do-gooder. The word is not negative. Matter of fact, it's very positive. It's not something that is passive, our integrity, but our integrity is supposed to be active. Now, I don't want this message to be just a beating down of the lack of integrity that we have in our society today, but rather I want it to be an encouragement to us at the significant difference that we can make on those around us for Jesus Christ because of the culture we live. I mean, I believe that there is within every single Christian, if you are a true Christian, I believe that God has placed within you a desire to be different. A desire to not just, you know, be counted with the masses of people around us. To not just be one of the crowd, but to rise above, to make a difference, to make an impact for Christ. And yes, our society is unraveling, but that makes it much easier for us as a Christian to let our difference shine. Integrity. It gives an ordinary Christian an extraordinary life. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're progressing. So why integrity? Why should I look at integrity? Why that word? Well, that's a good question, Tyler, and I'm going to answer that question for you right now. I'm going to give you three reasons why it's important for us to have integrity. The first, we're going to look at today. And number two and three, we're going to look at next week. Okay, I've already mentioned as we come up on this first one, the reason why we need integrity as individuals is because of the dynamic of the culture that we live in. Integrity does not take place in a vacuum, but it takes place in a culture. It is something that is going to be seen. It is something that is, is, is lived out day in and, and day out. And our culture, as we said, it's unraveling. It's coming apart at the seams. Things that used to be nailed down are coming loose. You know, people, things that people said, you know, 40 years ago would never happen. They're happening. And there is a cry, I believe, in our society today that says, where is the glue that holds it all together? What is going to hold our disintegrating society together? I mean, man believes that he has all the answers, you know, and I, and I think about man's wisdom and philosophy, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the kids building sandcastles up, you know, 
you know, on the ocean, you know, and with the changing of the tide, those, those castles and the philosophies, they all wash away. They don't have any answers. Our society is out of control. It's lost its way. Years ago, I talked about it being like a toboggan. You know, if you've ever ridden a toboggan in the middle of winter, you know, you get on that toboggan and you start out, and it goes slow, and you're, you're kind of in control, but the farther you get down that hill, the faster and faster it goes. And if you don't bail out early, you're going to get going, and, you know, until you crash at the bottom. And it seems that the, the toboggan is going at lightning speed right now. I mean, we are producing in our society endless celebrities but very few people that are great achievers. You know, the more celebrated a person is in our society, it, it seems that they're just not effective what they're being celebrated for. Matter of fact, Eugene Peterson, he's a man of pretty direct words, and he wrote a book years ago, once again, called Run With the Horses. And I want to read a paragraph out of that. It says this. He says, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly. Not so wickedly, not, but so inaimless. Not so cruel, but why do people live so stupidly? I love his bluntness. There is little, he goes on to say, to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. Famous entertainers amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. Petulant, spoiled athletes play games for lazy and apathetic spectators. Eugene, tell us how you feel here. <laughs> People aimless and bored amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets any headlines today. And I think he's probably hit it directly on, our head, on the head. So what I want to do this morning is we just looked at the first reason of why integrity is so important to us. I want to take us to Mark chapter 2. If you turn there in your Bibles, in Mark chapter 2, in verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. Let's consider the example of integrity being lived out in the dynamic of a culture. Okay, in verse 13, it starts out by saying, And he went down again by the seashore. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. And all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, in, in uh, Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them and they were following him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus Christ is a perfect model of a man with integrity living in within the cesspool of society. Now the religious leaders thought a man of God should stay away from sinners. I mean, their, their philosophy is that if you eat with sinners, you must be a sinner. That's pretty much what they expressed to here. I mean, no way they thought could a man live in it without becoming a part of it. Well, Christ demonstrated the exact opposite. The key to Jesus Christ being able to do this was his integrity. He was whole. 
He was solid through and through. What you saw on the outside was, was deep down within. What he was when everybody was watching was exactly what he was when he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. You know, when he was traveling on the road, when nobody was around him, he was still the same. Who he was determined where he went, not where he went determining who he was. He wasn't like a chameleon that just changed with the environments. You know, when he was around his disciples, you know, put the best foot forward, you got to look great, but, you know, when he's by himself, hey, nobody's going to see. Or when he was with maybe a little rougher crowd, you know, maybe blending in a little bit more so he wouldn't stand out to them, you know, with his language and, and attitude, those sorts of things. But follow, follow the events that you actually have here. I mean, Christ is teaching and he's preaching, and he sees Levi. Now, we don't get a lot of backstory here, but you got to assume, you know, Levi is actually a Jew here, and he's a tax collector. He's collecting taxes for the enemy, you know, for the Romans. And you got to assume that he has probably heard Christ teach, and he's probably seen him, you know, do a number of miracles up to this time. Now, a tax collector then, I mean, if we have struggled with paying taxes, it was even worse back then. Because a tax collector basically had the books, and you would come to the tax collector, and if you owned a home and fields this much land, you know, Rome would designate a, an amount for taxes. And it was totally up to the liberty of the tax collector to just bump that up just a little bit. And so they would collect the money, and you couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't you know, say, hey, wait a minute, it's not supposed to be that. I mean, he had the Roman cohort, cohort standing all around him, and you would have to pay. And so the attitude towards tax collectors is, is, is they were crooks. And here he is, a Jew. He is working for the Romans. But Levi, so moved by Christ, by his message, Levi leaves everything he had in a moment, and he follows after Jesus Christ. Christ goes to Levi's home, and he's dining with Levi. And naturally, all of Levi's friends, his old cronies, they come in to see him. You know, sinners, evil men, crooks, you know, just like he was, other tax collectors. Well, as soon as it starts getting crowded with sinners, Christ hits the road. I mean, what if, what if they influenced him? No way. Because of his integrity, because he was solid, his faith was solid, he, he was whole. Christ could have an effect on his environment rather than his environment changing how he acted and who he was. I love what it says in verse 15. It says, And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. Jesus wasn't following them, he, they were following him. He was having an imprint, making an imprint into his life. You know, many, many have tried to stand in these environments, but without integrity, you cannot stand in that kind of an environment. And so I kind of want to go a little bit aside here, and you know, let, let's ask ourselves some questions concerning this. Is, is what we are here, what you are here today, in the church, is that what people see when we are out in the world? Is what you are today and what you want people to see you as and how you are living, is that what you are in the world when you go to work? You know, later on when you go back to your home and to your community, when your neighbor looks over and he sees you, 
strikes up a conversation with you. What do people see when you're out in the world? Do you have a solid faith or do you have a veneer faith? You know, one that, you know, just, it, it, it's not too deep. Does your faith determine how you act or does your environment determine how you act? When you're at work, do you resemble your fellow workers or do you resemble Christ to them? I mean, the real question for us comes is, who is changing who? Is our culture changing me? Is it changing you? Or are you changing the culture in which you live? You see, Christ had an answer for the Pharisees. When they said in verse 17, you know, when they said, excuse me, verse 16, when the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, the insinuation is there. He shouldn't have anything to do with them. He should get as far away from them. You know, he doesn't want to get, you know, soiled by, by their acts or their actions. He shouldn't be influenced by them. And Christ answers them in verse 17. He says, in hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but to sinners. I mean, you think about it. Where do doctors spend the bulk of their time? They spend it in the presence of those who are sick. And, and the honest truth is that most of you here don't spend your life every day in the church. I mean, I'm here a lot, you know, because that's what I do during the week. But you are in the world. And you are out in the world with people that are spiritually sick, that need Christ. You're out in the world with people with different morals, you know, different... Uh, standards, and every day you are rubbing shoulders with them. You know, at work they swear, they have bad morals, crass jokes, they lie, they gossip. Well, in all that, I think Christ would say, great. What an opportunity that you have to shine for Jesus Christ. What an opportunity that you have to be different. You have the ev opportunity every day at work that, that I don't have. I mean, I have the privilege of, of, you know, nine times out of ten I'm rubbing shoulders with other believers and with you. And, but you have, a, you have a privilege of doing what Christ did, of going into the world and making a difference. And that is why we need to be men and women of integrity. That's why we have to break from the herd. We have to be different. You need a lifestyle that is dramatically and divinely different because of the dynamics of our culture. We need to master our culture, not let our culture master us. And by the way, the more you look like the culture, the less impact you're going to have. And, and, I, and on this, I would say, you know, church needs to be very, very careful. I understand you know, we church, we need to be contemporary. In other words, contemporary and meeting our culture, where they're at. And, you know, there are different things now than maybe 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago. And that is all great. But we need, there's a very fine line there of trying to be so much like the world, trying to make people feel so comfortable that we don't keep our distinction. Because the bottom line is we are supposed to be different. I'm not supposed to be like the world. People are supposed to, you know, who aren't Christians, see me and 
maybe feel uncomfortable around me. Maybe feel uncomfortable with some of their actions and things that they're doing. And it's not because we're judging them or anything like that, but, you know, again, we're light. And we're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be shining on darkness. I mean, you've got a good marriage. Not, not a perfect marriage, but you've got a good marriage. Folks, today you're a phenomenon in this culture. But you stand out. You're different. When everyone is cheating and you're not, I mean, you might you know, lose the contract, but you'll be respected because your light is shown. Something happens at work and everybody's talking bad about the boss, gossiping, ripping them down, and you're not, you're an outsider. You know, great. We're supposed to be different. Now, I share, I shared this years and years ago, um, but, but if you know me very well, you, you, you know that uh, I'm... I'm good enough at golf to be dangerous, so I, I enjoy playing it. Um, you know, sometimes I do better than others. But I was playing golf in northern Wisconsin years ago, and I was all by myself. And um, so I, I was, you know, I went there all by myself. Didn't have anyone to golf with, so they put me with a, an older couple to golf with. And so we golfed all day together, and we talked and we chit chatted while we we're there. And then finally, at the very end of it, they asked me what I did for a living. I told them I was a pastor. And, and the lady says, we thought so. They said, all those bad shots you hit, and you never swore. You know? <laughs> so, Folks, do you know how easy it is to be different? Just by not doing what the culture has come to consider normal. You know, just because I didn't swear and how easy it is to stand out and, and you, know, you know, make somebody notice that, that we're different than they are. Integrity stands out. It's against the flow. It is something that is going to be noticed. And folks, the world is hurting. The world around us knows that it's not working. And, and you can tell because it's getting louder and it's getting noisier. And the louder and noisier it is, is to cover up, you know, the fact that it's not working. What they need to see in me, what they need to see in you, is not the same thing that they see every single day. They need to see Jesus Christ in you. They need to see a Christian of integrity, one who is solid, one who is whole, one who is in the world but not of the world. I love what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of God. It goes on, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we observe his commandments. In other words, if you're really a Christian, and you really love God, you're really a child of his, how are you going to know it? We know this when we love God and observe his commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. Our belief. That, 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 that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It makes us overcome the world. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. So folks, as you look at your life, have you let certain aspects of your faith slip away? It's easy. I mean, we are, we are swimming upstream. And again, you are out in, in, in communities, you are out in a workplace that I have no ideas. You know, what it's like in the break room, what it's like on the line, what it's like to have a boss over you, you know, that, that doesn't have a Christian faith. Again, we have a, 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 an opportunity to be different. With all of this bearing down on us, have we, have we let our faith change a little bit? Maybe not be quite so solid? I want us to take some time. I'm going to call the, the worship team back up here right now, and, and they can make their way up here right now. I want us to speak to God. We're going to give us some quietness. The piano, the organ are just going to play, and I'm going to let you just pray. Speak to God. You know, this week, I, I, you know, as, as I'm going through this, and I know that I'm going to be preaching what I'm going to be preaching, um, man, it was a good time for me to step back and see some soul searching. Maybe see some areas that, you know, I'm still better than the rest of the world, but that's not my standard. <laughs> when I say better, you know, more moral, or I don't do... You know, my, my heart, my attitude. I'm, I may be ahead of the curve, but I, I found myself behind God. And, and I want to give you the opportunity, as God points those things out to you, to lay them before him. Confess, find forgiveness, restoration. You know, make you whole, make you solid again. You know, so I'm, I'm going to give you that time to just pray for one another, and, and then we'll begin singing, and then you can join us when you are ready. God, I pray that that'll be more than just a song on our lips. It'll be the cry of our heart that you're all we want. And Father, I know that that pursuit, I am going to fall far short so often in my life. But Father, that is a pursuit that I never want to give up. The pursuit of you, of knowing you. Just of, of, of simply understanding how and what you want me to be as you originally had created us. Father, I know one day we're going to be able to see it all face to face, and Lord, we yearn for that day. But I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. I pray for myself that you will just continue to work this word in my heart, that as opportunities come up, 
when trials and tests come, Father, that you will remind us of your truth and your word. Remind us, Lord, that you were in the world but not of the world, that you made a difference. And God, that's what we want to do. So dismiss us here with your grace and mercy, Lord. We need that in our lives. And I thank you that you use us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in our son's name. Amen.